Welcome to Sermons from First Alliance Church, equipping you to become a fully devoted and faithfully engaged disciple of Jesus. Here's today's message. As we just jump into it today, let me just open us up in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much that you are a good God, that you are at work well before we even see it. Thank you that you are uh, a God who sent your son into this world uh, for, to save us. And thank you that you sent us as your disciples into this world uh, for your glory and so that more people may know who you are. So, Father, I pray now, Holy Spirit, come, show us uh, what the Word of God is teaching us. And let us not just be doer, hearers, but doers of your Word. Father, show us individually and collectively what you are calling us to, and help us to be people who are faithful to your call in our lives at this time in history. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So someone, actually it's funny, as I was preparing this sermon, someone asked me, so Tim, why did you choose to become a pastor? And I was like, ugh. I think it kind of just happened. I don't know if that was a good answer for him. He was a pastor. He, had, he was like working toward being a police officer, and God just dramatically transformed his direction and called him into, to be a pastor. And I said, I feel like, do I feel called to be a pastor? Yes. Um, is that what I want to do? I don't know. It's kind of a mixed bag. Do I feel called here at First Alliance to serve? Absolutely. But do I feel like that's what God has for me in my life? I think actually what God has called me to is something a bit beyond that. And let me, let me explain with that. Kind of like a 2010 Facebook relationship status, it's complicated. So bear with me. I think for me, my real passion from a young age was to be involved in God's work in this world. It's what we often called missions. Uh, I remember as a kid, my parents would give me a dollar for the offering, and I would, you know, I would somehow think, like, I want to give this to God's work in the world, and they taught me to be a part of that. And I'd always put my one dollar, which probably made a big dent in the world, into the missions uh, fund at church, because that was something that excited me. And as I was preparing the sermon, I was thinking, why? What got me excited from a young age? I actually think back upon some of my favorite Sunday school teachers. Uh, right now, they live in uh, France, they serve in the Middle East, they live in China. I think the people that inspired me from the young age were people that had a heart for God's work in this world. Another piece I think that shaped my heart for what God is doing in this world is that uh, my parents moved to Canada in 1979, and in 19- before the Civil War in Sri Lanka, and I think in the 80s and early 90s, my parents, I think, possibly housed every Sri Lankan that came to Canada. Uh, in our home, which is a really a lot of family members and lots of different people who were kind of uh, just the random calls from different strangers and people coming to our house and getting connected. And from a really young age, I saw, I started to learn what a refugee was, and I started to see how there was much more going on in this world than just in my own neighborhood or my own city or my own church and community. And another thing, uh, this may be an archaic reference, so bear with me. Uh, especially when my grandfather was over, every time at like noon there'd be like this beeping. And there's this device called a radio. Maybe some of you have heard it. You'll go to a museum and see what they are. Uh, we would always be listening to the BBC World Service. That was kind of a thing in our house. Uh, and that's something that really shaped me. I, there was always kind of a pulse and understanding of not what was going on just in Canada, but throughout the world. And so as I grew in my love for Christ, my heart started to bleed for what? For what God was doing in this world. Now, for some of us here, 
you may, as you've grown in your love for Christ, some of you, he births in all of us different passions. Some of you, it might be for your community, your neighborhood. It might be welcoming new Canadians. It might be with, working with vulnerable children, youth. Some of you, it might be your education, what he's called you to study. It might be what your job is and how do you serve passionately in that area. And for, other of us, it might be, for others of us, it might be our skills or our talents and how we use them for his kingdom. But for me, as I grew in my love for Jesus, he grew my heart for what he was doing in this world. I had the privilege of going to university, and university had its ups and downs, even spiritually. Yet, I think one of the things I'm most thankful for is uh, at the end of my second year, I got involved with a Christian group on campus, and I went on a short-term mission trip. And we went to East Asia, and I went on that trip for six weeks, and at the end of that trip, my friend and I made a promise to each other. When we graduate school in two years, let's come back and serve here for two. And those two years turned into eight years. Uh, and God uh, just showed me so many awesome things serving and living in East Asia. I got to work with some amazing leaders, receiving teams coming, sending teams into some of the hardest-to-reach places in the world, and it was such a great, beautiful experience, a humbling experience, to see all these great, passionate, godly leaders all throughout Asia, passionate about his work and how much I had to learn from them. Yet after that time, I came back to Canada, I got married, and... Uh, about five weeks into marriage, I, I started having um, panic attacks. And during that time, I actually was pretty much homebound for two whole months, couldn't leave my home. About, and, so about th and I took a three-month leave of absence from work. Yet God used that time to slowly redirect and work me, and he moved me towards seminary uh, and on the road to recovery from kind of that anxiety burnout. And as he just kind of built me back up and I got to study his scriptures, God eventually brought me here to First Alliance. So, how do I say this? Do I feel called? Absolutely. To serve here in this community? Absolutely. But if people ask me, uh, so I think one of the questions is why actually do I actually share all this in the first place? It's because whether here at First Alliance, whether uh, in seminary, whether laying in my bed and not, pretty much not being able to function, whether living in East Asia, or whether like studying social work in school, my passion, my heart hasn't changed. And what I do or what I was doing at that moment didn't change what my heart was for. My heart was going to be brought into whatever I was doing in that moment. And I praise God for that. So when people ask me why did I become a pastor, I tell them it really starts with a heart for God's work in this world and then a journey for me of trying to be faithful in that every step of the way. So therefore, if God were to call me back to med school today, which that's a joke, there's no way I could get into med school, you wouldn't want me as your doctor. You'd probably walk out of the office with pneumonia or something. It would be bad news. But whatever it is that God calls me to, I just want to be a part of his work in this world. And that's why I love serving here at First Alliance. Some people will use definitely different words. And Michelle talked about this. There's lots of words to describe missions. Mission or missions. What's the difference between missional or missionary? And I don't think we're going to have time to go into those today. But as we actually look at some of the scriptures that shape our missions ideology here at First Alliance Church, I think we can go deeper in understanding God's heart for the world and what he is calling us to. Usually we love talking about scripture. We usually love taking one passage from the Bible and just exploring it and diving into it. 
And today what we're going to do is look at three passages throughout scriptures. And these three passages have actually shaped, this is part of our mission's ideology here at First Alliance, but there are actually three passages that have shaped me at three different times in my life about what God's work in this world is. So if you brought your Bible, feel free to open it up on your phone. Uh, if you're new here, feel free to grab one of those blue Bibles in the row in front of you and open up to Matthew chapter 28. This is probably one of the most famous texts on missions. Uh, if you're new here, you can feel free to open up the, those blue Bibles. It's page 811. We're going to look at these three passages today, examine what is the call of the gospel and application. Where do we go from here as individuals and as a church? <coughs> I would say this, chap this passage in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, uh, would have shaped what I, how I saw God's work in this world probably in my late teens and my early 20s. This has got me really excited about what God was doing. Let me, let's just read this together. In verse 18, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The context here is Jesus has just died on the cross. He has risen uh, from the grave, and he's showing himself to his disciples. He's about to ascend to heaven, and this, these are some of his final words. Like kind of his, his, we call it the Great Commission. It's kind of like his, his big hurrah, his charge to the people of God of what they are supposed to do. And I remember sitting in a class one time, and the professor uh, was asking, if you look at this in the Greek, in verses uh, you know, 19, there's one verb, one main verb. They call it an imperative verb in Greek. Uh, can you figure out which one it is? And for me, it was really easy. I'm like, oh, you look at that passage. It's got to be the word go. Go. Kind of like that's the challenge behind this all. And that's what inspired me. It's like, this is a chance to go. This is a call for us to go. Yet actually, the imperative verb there is make disciples. Uh, the going, teaching, baptizing, those ING words are the things we do as we make disciples, or as we go, we are called to make disciples. And if we read through that text, what are we called to make disciples of? It says in verse 18, uh, therefore go and make disciples of all nations. And often we think of nations as ge with geographical borders, but I think maybe a better translation of ethnos here is like people groups. Not just one country to another country, but between people groups. People of similar uh, linguistic and ethnic, uh, same language, same ethnic background. God is calling us to make disciples of all nations. And the reason that's kind of key is, all of a sudden, missions goes from going from here to somewhere else, to realizing that even in our own neighborhood at this time in history in Canada, how many nations do we have here? And how many people don't have a chance or haven't even had the opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus, even living in our city, let alone the far reaches of the world. And the final thing of this passage is, and I think as I've studied this passage with people over the last five years, I've started to see people really notice the end of verse 20. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. I love that. It's so reassuring. 
God sends his spirit to be with us as we go and do this work. This isn't just like a social justice charge for us to do. This is God inviting us to participate with his spirit in this work. God calls us to make disciples of all nations, and he goes with us as we make disciples. The main point of Matthew is we are called to make disciples, and many of you are familiar with this text and know that. Yet in one sense, I know it can seem intimidating to make disciples, and in one sense it seems intimidating, but in another, I think we often make disciples uh, all the time in our life. Let me explain. I'm sure you have a friend who has a particular diet that they're very fanatical about. Uh, maybe you yourselves are into like a sugar-free or a Daniel fasting or something like that. Um, I don't know why anyone would go without sugar. It's the first thing I do. I, put a, I get some sugar in the morning, pour some coffee in there, and that's kind of the start of my day. I could not do that sugar fast. But if you think about it, whether it's like people who are into fitness or exercise, and this is my favorite one, um, as an Android user... I see a lot of disciple-making with the iPhone people. They're going around telling you about iPhones, why they're the greatest, how you should have an iPhone, how FaceTime is the greatest thing in the world, and I'm just like, have you not heard of WhatsApp? Um, it's accessible to all people. Um, and someone gave me an iPhone 10, maybe, maybe I, for free I would maybe use it, you know? That's like a coaster on my table or something. Just kidding. I like, if I got it for free, I definitely would use it. Uh, Yet, making disciples is simply passing on what you have learned from others. It's sharing what you are excited about and bringing that to others. There's a great joy and a great simplicity in making disciples. And it's just like the overflow of our heart. As we love Christ, we pour him out into others and how we serve and how we speak and how we function with others. And so Matthew 28, just something that's transformed my life. Making disciples is simply about passing on what has been passed on to us. If Matthew 28's call is to make disciples, I think sometime in my, I'm going to go with my late 20s, another theme starts to come out. And I really see this. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Isaiah chapter 1. Which if you have one of those blue Bibles, is on page 553. <coughs> Isaiah begins this section, and this is a, a book, this is a beautiful book of the Bible. Isaiah begins by sharing a vision that God has given him for Judah, the southern people, uh, the southern tribe, and he begins by calling out this theme of rebellion in verse 2 onwards. Isaiah shares that unless God shows the people of Judah mercy, there would be no hope for them. They've been worshiping God in a way that it's not really authentic, it's kind of disrespectful. Yet look at the thing that Isaiah points out and calls them out for finally in verses 16 and 17. Isaiah chapter 1, verses 16. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right a word often connected with righteousness. Seek justice, defend the oppressed, care for the fatherless and the widow. God isn't, how do I say this? God isn't upset because they are worshiping God in the temple incorrectly or violating some religious code. He's upset because the people of Judah have hearts that don't align with God's heart. 
God is upset because the people of Judah have hearts that don't align with the heart of God. Isaiah is simply pointing out that when you don't care for the marginalized, those on the margins like the poor, like the oppressed, the fatherless, the orphaned, and the widow, and the, and the foreigner, it shows that you don't care about those who God desperately cares for. You don't have the same heart toward them. And we see this call to care for the marginalized, not only just in Isaiah, but all throughout Scripture. Last month, we've been going through the book of Luke, and Jesus uh, class asks everyone, who is my neighbor? The story of the Good Samaritan. It's a great example of, it's not just a call to love your neighbor, it's a call to love all people. And at that time, the Samaritans were kind of the downcast, the oppressed, uh, that, that the Jewish people looked down upon from a different part of the world. In Acts chapter 6, we see as the church is just growing and getting bigger and bigger, we see how uh, Acts chapter 6, there's like this moment where the church has to choose and they find that the, uh, the Jewish women are being taken care of, widows are being taken care of better than the Greek ones, so they find a way to make sure that all are cared for and looked after. The book of James calls us to look after orphans and widows. And if it's not just the New Testament, the Old Testament, throughout Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, there are passages. And those books of the Bible, the first five, really show us in many ways God's heart and who he is. And there might be people like, oh, it's a bunch of rules, a bunch of laws, but they actually point to God's heart and who he is. And in there, you have passages about don't oppress the foreigner, don't take advantage of the widow or fatherless, leave crops for the poor or the foreigner, be open-handed to the poor and those in need. A call to care for the marginalized, the righteous, uh, and call forth justice for those in the margins of society is a theme that we see all throughout Scripture. Yet, some of you may ask, and I have asked this question too. Isn't our call just to preach the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus with others? Care for the marginalized is good, but is it, it, it's not the priority. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think for years of my life, I completely believe this. Uh, I thought that ministries that built hospitals or orphanages weren't as valuable as a missionary sent out to plant a church. I bought into this lie because I didn't understand God's heart for the world. True biblical preaching of the gospel takes into account the whole person, their physical needs, structural injustices, the impact of sin, and, their direct, and the eternal trajectory of their soul. Let me say that again. True biblical preaching of the gospel takes into account the whole person, their physical needs, structural injustices, the impact of sin, and the eternal trajectory of their soul. If Matthew shows us God's call for us to be disciple-makers, then Isaiah exemplifies God's heart for people, especially the marginalized, those on the margins, like the poor, the oppressed, the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. And I think it's really when God started to show this to me uh, just over te around 10 years ago, it really shaped the way I thought and understood missions. Yet there's another passage, and this is fun. Uh, we're going to move to John chapter 20. John's the fourth gospel. Uh, you can flip open there. It's kind of a fun moment. I realized as I have spent time in Scripture, uh, by God's grace, there are days where I feel like I'm learning nothing. There are weeks where I feel like, what is going on here? But as I was kind of preparing the sermon, I realized like God has used different Scriptures over my life 
things that I've read like 25 times or like 10 times, it's just gone right over my head. But he's used them to continue to form and shape me. The Bible is so powerful. God's word is so powerful. I remember having a mentor one time said, I've read through this thing like he, I think he had read through it like 50 times because once every year. And he was like, I still am getting new things out of this. And as I was thinking about the sermon, like it's amazing how God continues to speak when we, when we give ourselves and spend time in God's word. This book is powerful. Sorry, that was a side rant. I have no clue where I am now. Um, okay, John chapter 20. Uh, in the Gospel of John, you're going to see a really important theme. You're going to see a theme of sending. Uh, the word send or sent is used over 50 times throughout this book, in the 21 chapters of this book. The idea of being sent uh, denotes power or authority. You know, a diplomat goes to another country not by their own power, but because they've been sent with great authority. Uh, police officer shows, uh, a police officer shows up at your door. That's great. I mean, you might be in trouble. It might not be great. But if they show up with a warrant, they've been sent with authority. And I advise you probably to step to the side or call your lawyer. <laughs> but the idea of being sent denotes authority or power. And throughout the book of John, we see in uh, John chapter 3, God sends Jesus into this world to save it. In chapter 12, to believe in Jesus also means that you believe in the one who sent Jesus, God himself. In chapter 14, we see that the Father sends the Spirit in Jesus' name. In chapter 16, Jesus must leave the earth before God sends us his Spirit. In John chapter 17, uh, God sent Jesus into this world just as Jesus sends his disciples into this world. It's a whole lot of sending. And God is sending Jesus into the world. Jesus is calling upon the Father to send the Spirit into this world. And Jesus is sending us, his disciples, into this world. It's like a great theme that we see in the book of John. Let's read chapter 20, just verses 21 and 22. This is just after Jesus has risen from the dead and he, he meets his disciples for one of the first times. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just as the Father has sent the Son to redeem and rescue humankind, uh, just as Jesus had to leave this earth in order to send the Holy Spirit upon his disciples, just Jesus also sends us, his disciples, into the world through the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're doing the, we're studying right now at church, the book of Luke, and we're going to eventually end up in the book of Acts. And you see how this comes to work in the book of Acts. And boy, does the church follow God's instruction that we are a sent people. After the Spirit comes upon the disciples at the beginning of the book of Acts, they go out and heal and preach uh, the good news that Jesus' death and resurrection is the only hope for the world. Thousands come to follow Jesus. Communities are formed that preach this good news and care for each other, including the marginalized, like the poor, like the widow, and the foreigner. This is our hope for the world. All people learning about who Jesus is and how he brings us back into relationship with God through his death and resurrection. This is good news. This is the gospel. Amen? For a long time, I used to think about missions as sending, much of what Michelle talked about. And by that, I mean sending people from, to communities where people did not know about Jesus. 
The main focus was upon going. For example, this church would get, raise up five people, send them somewhere else, and our, and our job was to pray and support them financially. And that was my definition of missions. Now, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. But although much of that is true, I think missions is better understood as ascending God who calls us to participate in what he is doing in this world. My focus now is on participating with God in his work. For example, that would mean, as a church, it's not that we just send a few people out. We are all sent out by God, who is ascending God, who sent his son to this world to die for us. Whether that be to our neighborhoods, our families, or to our children for stay-at-home parents, whether in our workplaces where we work with excellence and point people to Christ, whether in our studies with our friends and neighbors and all the people we encounter. Here's the reality. Some of us will move to other parts of the world to bring this good news of Jesus there. Some of us will stay here and intentionally welcome those from other places who are arriving here. Some will be pastors equipping the church. Some will be doctors caring for the sick. Some will be construction workers building for the glory of God. Some will be parents whose role is to disciple their kids toward Christ. All those callings are callings of God. The joy of being a sent people is that all of us are called, all of us participate equally in, with God's work in this world. The joy of being a sent people is that the most holy times aren't just when we gather on Sunday morning, but it's every day of the week as we serve and point more people toward Christ. Mission is participation with Christ in his disciple-making ministry through the power of the Spirit. As a church... We have tons of ways that we participate with God's work in this world. If you look at your bulletin, there's a little blue insert in there. You can feel free to pull that out right now. And in there, you'll find our national workers and our international workers, our gospel partners, the many people we partner with who serve here in Toronto and throughout the world. Uh, when you give to our mission fund, you support the, uh, the the people that God has put here in our presence. You also support the Global Advance Fund, which is our denominations, the Christian and Missionary Alliances uh, kind of fund that supports workers like Albert and Elaine Liu, like supports Lisa Brown and many other Christian and missionary workers throughout the world. And as you look at that flyer, if you feel like that God is calling you in a direction that involves full-time ministry, read some of the, uh, read some of the information in there. Uh, pray and ask questions and feel free to contact me if that's something that interests you or you want to pursue. Yet, the idea of full-time ministry is good. Um, and pastors and missionaries are important. But they're just a part of God's plan for this world. And we need to honor those people who God raises up. But the truth that sticks out to me today, sticks out to me today is that missions isn't about a few people going. It's about all of God's people, us, as as a sent people participating with God in his work in this world. When we, the church, are sent by our God to preach the good news by participating with his spirit, hearts will be softened, evil will be exposed, evil structures will be destroyed, justice will triumph, and the good news will transform the world for the praise and glory of God's name. Amen.
So where do we go as a called people sent by God? Let me just share three points of application, and then I'll invite the worship team to come on up. First, Matthew 28. We have to accept the fact that we are called to make disciples. Uh, whether here, whether with our children, whether in our workplace, uh, whether in youth ministry, we are called in Matthew 28 to make disciples of all people, to simply pass on what has been passed on to us. Secondly, we are empowered by the Spirit of God. When I used to think of missions as an imperative to go, I went on my own strength. But when, it's, when we're called to participate with God, here's the interesting thing. We have to sit still. We get on our hands and knees, we pray, we listen, we discern, together as, as a community as well as in individuals. And then we go forth knowing that we are just simply following the work that God has paved the way for us to do. We are called to make disciples. We are empowered by the Spirit. And finally, our God is ascending God and we are ascent people. So that means whether at your work, in your neighborhoods, with your family, in your studies, or on the bus, we go out and participate with God's Spirit, following his lead to declare that God, that the God who created the world, even when we turned our backs on him, sent his Son to die in our place so that all who would believe in him may be reconciled to God through Christ. As the worship team comes up, I just have this word. As you listen to this and as you hear God whispering to you, whether it be about uh, your role as a parent, your role in a particular ministry, your role uh, at your work or in your education or in your community. Just take a moment to listen to what God is saying. And I dare you, just say yes. Say yes to what he is calling you to. Sit back and enjoy the adventure of a lifetime. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more on us as a church and ways to connect, please visit us online at firstalliancechurch.org.